Morning, Grace Point. How you doing? God bless you. Good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. If you see me limping a little bit, go ahead and get that off the plate. I got a little torn calf muscle. I found out I was almost uh, 60 yesterday, so <laughs> got to warm up before I, before I do those tricks. Y'all pray for Jill. She's got a mean streak. She called me hop along and laughed at me every time I came by yesterday, so trying to get her saved. Maybe she'll get saved this morning. Amen. You know, your mind thinks you can do what you did when you was 20, but your body sometimes says it can't. (laughs) Amen. All right. Today we want to entitle this Breaking Cycles. I mean, there's good cycles and there's bad cycles. Everything in this world, really, when it comes down to it, works off of cycles. Our seasons, our solar system, even our bodies. And uh, so not all cycles are bad, but they can be bad. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and I ask them to to use the uh, message translation just because it's just a little more clear. This is Moses rehearsing, talking about the children of Israel. And he says, then God said, you've been going around in circles in these hills long enough. Go north. And what was in the north was their promised land. How many knows that God's promised you things in the word of God? In the New Testament, you have promises. And uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, It is 11 days' journey from Horab by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And then it says, uh, really a pathetic comparison. It says, now it came to pass in the 40th year. So in other words, what he's saying is that the journey was an 11-day journey, but it took us 40 years to get there. It took us 40 years. Now, you can have things in your life that are not supposed to last as long as they're lasting. And the reason they're lasting and continuing to last and stay in that continual habitual cycle is because of us, not because of God, not because God desires us to be in that place. God didn't want them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, he prepared them in a two-year process. They came as a people group, the Hebrews, out of Egyptian slavery for 430 years. Now, actually, the prophets had prophesied that they would only be in Egypt for 400 years. They were actually in there for 430 years. Now, why is that? Because a man, Moses, that God sent in there, he fumbled the ball. He messed around and killed an Egyptian, abandoned his mission, and left Egypt for 40 years, which delayed it for 30 years of them leaving when they should have left earlier. Now, some of us are in situations that you should have left 30 years ago or got out of 30 years ago. You don't want to be in something that's, that's got, not God's plan for you in a, in a, for too long. Amen? Amen. And so uh, that's what we want to talk about today how to break out of these things that seemingly sometimes they're generational, sometimes they're physical, sometimes they're uh, spiritual. And, and uh, I believe God wants us free of those things, don't you? Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your plan and purpose for our lives, for victory. Thank you that we are destined for victory. So we yield to that purpose today. We yield to your plan in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said... Amen. Turn around and smile at somebody. Tell them, welcome to Grace Point. 
we uh, have examples all in the scripture of people uh, who broke cycles in their lives. I'm talking about negative cycles. Um, now, God there was talking to the children of Israel, the Hebrews, and he says, you got to stop going in circles here. you got to stop just going around and around this mountain. He said, now, you need to break out of this, and you need to go into what I've promised you. Um, so we see it even speaking to a nation, but he also had people that broke out of things. Uh, Jacob in the Bible. Remember, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, some things in our families are generational. So, in other words, this is before the law now, before Moses, but Abraham had a tendency to lie when he got in a bind. How many knows that's in the Bible? He lied about his wife. He did it twice. Then here comes the next generation. J uh, uh, Isaac tells the same lie that his daddy. Where would you learn to, to lie like that? Let me tell you something. Where did you learn to be un unforgiving? Do you know you have to be taught to be an unforgiving person? You, you, that doesn't, that's not part of the package. It's not normal, and you had to learn it. And you learned it from somebody, and you learned to be unforgiving from somewhere. You don't see it in the animal kingdom. No animals hold grudges at one another. Like You're the animal that did that to me a year ago, now I'm going to jump on you. It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't, it's non-existent. You say, well, that's animals. Let me tell you where you don't see it. You don't see it in children. Little kids don't carry grudges. Their parents, you know, two little kids, neighbors, they fight one another. Parents will be mad at each other maybe forever or six months. The kids just want you to let them out of the house where they can play again with their little friend. Is that not the truth? So you're not born as an unforgiving person. You have to be taught that. Sometimes people mistakenly say, well, I don't forgive them because I don't take nothing from nobody or I'm a strong person. You're learning and perpetuating unforgiveness. And so Abraham lied, Jacob, uh, Isaac lied, and then we get Jacob, third generation. So this, this kind of thing that's in the family here is getting worse. So by the time we get to Jacob, Jacob's whole life is a lie. He's known as a deceiver, a swindler, a, a person who uses deception to get what he wants in his whole, he does it all his life. Yet we see in the scripture that he broke out of that cycle. Now what did Jacob do to get out of the cycle? All he did was just, he didn't let go of God that time. In other words, he had a tendency that when, when the heat got on, when the pressure was there, when things were not understandable or going like he won't, he would let go of God. Now, I mean, he knows that you can let go of God, but God will never let go of you. It's a real big difference there. But remember that the Lord appeared to Jacob as the angel of the Lord. We know it was the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus because he received honor and worship, and no angel would do that. And remember, the Lord chose to wrestle with him. That's the most intimate sport that there is, wrestling. And so Jacob wrestled with him. And remember the Lord said to him, let me go for, your, for, the, for the day breaks. In other words, you're, you're very close to breaking out of this cycle that you've lived for these many, many decades. And, and Jacob's re re reply was, I'm not going to let you go. Even though in that moment his hip, the Bible says, was dislocated. How many knows that he was in pain? And yet in pain, he refused to let go of God. 
I've said this to you before. Can you hang on to God when you don't understand and when you're hurting? That's the real test of, of, you know, we don't understand, but we trust the one who we call Jesus. And so we hold on. And that's sometimes that's all you have to do is just hold on. We talked about last Sunday. Sometimes all you have to do is stand, and having done all to stand, you just stand, and you win. Why? Because you're standing. Standing on what? Standing on the promises of God, standing on his word. We see another individual in John 5. We see the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. Remember that guy? Now, a lot of people will mistakenly say he was at the pool 38 years. The Bible never says that. It just says that he had been in that condition of a paralyzed condition for 38 years. And even this week, just in my travels and listening to different things, I heard a preacher using that as an example in preaching it as doctrine that, you know, that God at times sends angels down to trouble the water and you're supposed to jump in then. And, and I wish that we would read the Bible in this. It, it's, just, it's just a sign that we don't know who we're talking about. Because in the original language in John chapter 5, verse, the part of verse 3 and all of verse 4, uh, it is not even in the original uh, scriptures in, in the Greek. It doesn't appear. In other words, the Holy Spirit didn't write that. So the translators, and if you have an NIV Bible, New International Version, you won't even find it in there. If it's an NIV study Bible, you'll see an asterisk or something, and down at the bottom it'll tell you that these are the verses that appear in a lot of Bibles, but they're not in original manuscripts. Why did they put it in there? The translators added that so that we would have an understanding of why people were hanging, sick people were hanging around this pool. And so here we got a man that had been in that condition. It doesn't say he'd been at that pool that long. No doubt this is one of the, the festivals of the Lord, three of the, the mandated festivals, probably the Feast of Tabernacles, and he came with his family. He was carried to this place called the Pool of Bethesda, and there was this, there was this myth, everybody say myth, this rumor that at times the waters would bubble up, and that would be an angel doing it, though they never saw an angel, and then the first lame, paralyzed, or sick person that could make it and touch the water first would be healed of their malady. Now just use your brain for a second. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like the Father that we worship? Does that sound like a God that would be like that? How sadistic and, and, and twisted would that God be to mess around with sick people and paralyzed people and to make it a, a contest of who physically can get into a water the fastest and then whoever does gets their healing and if you come in just slightly behind the first one, you're just stuck with your, your sickness. Does, really. So that's the God you serve, right? Man, if I thought that's who he was, I'd drop my Bible in the trash can on the way out of this church and never talk to him again. Because that's not who he is. And we got so many people talking about him and teaching about him that they, they, I wonder how they even, they, I don't even think they have a relationship with him. You may not know the Bible, but if you'll talk to him and, and he's in you, you you'll, you'll know his nature. You know, when my dad was alive, you could say, well, your dad did this, this, and this. And I would know you're lying because my dad, I know my dad. Now, you could tell me God sends uh, hurricanes like Katrina to to judge New Orleans or he sends floods in Houston to drown people to get their attention or he broke your leg and put you in the hospital so you'd read the Bible. All of those are lies. How many times do you have to hear me say this statement? God is the father. He's not the Godfather. He, he, he don't break people's legs. He don't hurt people. 
He doesn't drown people to get your attention. He, he, he's never done any of those things since Jesus paid the price for the sin of the world on the cross. God is not angry anymore. And any preacher or teacher or any person who ever uh, hints or portrays to you that God is angry with you or any nation is a liar. The Bible says that God would never do that once that new covenant comes. And the prophet Isaiah prophesied of that. Ezekiel talked about it. And God said, when this new covenant comes, he said, I will be angry with you no more forever, nor shall I ever remove my kindness from thee. And that's an amazing good news deal. So God's not angry. Does that mean God likes for people to sin? No. Because sin does what? It hurts you and it hurts other people. But as far as God, God has removed the barrier between us and him because Jesus Christ, he did what the Bible said he came to do. He took away the sin of the world. He took it away. Now, you can bring it back, your neighbors can bring it back, and the devil can bring it back, but God's not going to bring it back because when John the Baptist pointed at him that day at his baptism, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He either took it away or he didn't. And if he didn't take it away, he's got to come back and take it away. And that's going to really mess up your theology. Second coming, second crucifixion, um, no. Jesus did what he did, and he didn't lie. When he got at the end of the cross, he said, It is almost finished. No, it's finished. It is complete. I did what my father sent me to do. Now God says our job is to beseech people by the mercies of God as if it was Christ himself and say this statement to them. Listen, be reconciled to God. It says in that passage that, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we would be the righteousness of God. And it says, it says to speak to people and tell them, listen, be reconciled to God. You know what that is? In other words, it's saying be reconciled to God, man, because he already reconciled himself with you. He's not mad with you. He has forgiven you. And you know what an amazing thing? And I know some of you may get tired of hearing me say this, but there's always people that hadn't heard it before. Is it, that's why the word sin is never mentioned in the context of New Testament people getting born again. The Bible is different than your American Christianity. God is not a Christian. <laughs> so are we supposed to be Christians? Well, that's another sermon. That one aggravates people so bad I hate to even mention it. But there is no command anywhere. And nobody in the Bible ever called themselves Christians. No apostle, no prophet, New Testament. Nobody in the New Testament ever in Scripture ever called themselves a Christian. See how much you learn by coming here? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go on a war for that because I'm not trying to eliminate the term. If people say, are you a Christian, Brother Dale? I say, yes, I am. Absolutely. Because in the definition of that, it means to be Christ-like. Do I think I portray Christ-likeness? No, but inside I know I'm like Christ in my spirit that got born again. The rest of it you'll just have to deal with. <laughs> but 
the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. And, they were, and it was actually a derogatory negative statement. Because in the, in the original Greek, that word meant little Christians or little Christ. And it was a derogatory term. And actually, they were being upset by being called that. And even Paul told them, he said, listen, if you, anybody suffers as a Christian, let them be a good soldier. Because they didn't like being called Christians in the first century church. But today it's common language and it's okay and I'm not going after a you know, war on it. But I would not go into a Muslim nation anywhere in this world and say, do you want to be a Christian? Because they're going to kill you before you get to witness. Because Christians and Muslims have been fighting each other almost forever. But what I would do if I went into a Muslim nation is I would say, would you like to know God? And they would all reply, every Muslim would say yes. Or they would say, I already know him, and his name is Allah. And, and, and we would start from there. We've, I've actually been in a Muslim nation when we went to Bulgaria. And part of that is very Muslim because they border with Turkey. And so we've got examples of people that break out of these things, this pattern. And here in John 5, that man at the pool, what was he waiting on? Well, I mean, why stay in that condition? You think God wanted him in that paralyzed condition for 38 years? No. How did he break out of that cycle of being physically paralyzed that long? Because he put his faith in a person instead of a myth and a rumor and methodology. He thought that he had to be laid at this spot, crawl as fast as he could, I guess, with his paralyzed legs and get to the water and beat everybody in there. And he would, that's magic, y'all. That's, that's, that's witchcraft. That's not Jesus. Jesus comes to that guy and says, do you want to get well? Because this is not how you do it. This is not how you get well. Do you want to get well? He says, well, I, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. Jesus said, you're, still, <laughs> you're looking at the wrong thing, man. The fountain of your healing is talking to you. He said, take up your bed and walk. And the Bible said he took up his bed and he walked. It's interesting that it says that they found him, Jesus departed, and then they, he found him in the temple. And they realized that it was the, the lame man, the paralyzed man, and they, they asked him, how did you get healed? And, and they said, who healed you? And he didn't even know Jesus' name. Some of you think unless you say the rabbit's foot incantation, in the name of Jesus, I mean, nothing's going to happen. It's, it's not using the name. Your faith is not in the name. The faith is in the person who is named Jesus. That's how that man got healed. He, couldn't, he didn't even know the word Jesus, but he knew that that man, I put my faith in what that man said, and that man was Jesus, and that healing was imparted unto him. Big difference. Big difference. We got a lot of people that's doing things where they're believing in methodology to get better. It's not about a method. And then we come to another person in the New Testament, the woman with the issue of blood. Y'all remember her? Mark chapter 5, beginning verse 25, I would like to read some of these. It says, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. That's a long cycle. That's a long time. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
Now look in verse 27. When she what? Heard about Jesus. So don't get mad at the woman for being stuck in that position for 12 years with this issue of blood. Her main issue was that nobody had yet told her about Jesus. So she was trying to get better. She was doing all she knew, and she was going to physicians and people that claimed to help her, and she was, they were charging her money, and she was paying for them, but she was none the better, only grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, now that's the deal that we're, that's part of the reason we're here. That's part of the reason we're sending the gospel out on Facebook and in media. We want people to hear about Jesus. And not the religious Jesus, not the first, second, third church Jesus, or not your grandmama's Jesus. Or, I mean, we want you to hear about the real Jesus, the grace of God incarnate, the, uh, the, the Jesus that you see in the New Testament. We want you to hear about that Jesus. Not a lying, fake Jesus that sends hurricanes and tornadoes and kills people and drowns people and punishes people and, and wipes nations off the map because he got angry one day. No, that's not Jesus. But when she heard about Jesus, then she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, this is about cycles, but sometimes cycles are normal, but cycles that stay continuous can be issues in your life. Now, I realize this is a physical woman with a physical problem, and I'm going to try to keep this at a certain level, but I do think there are things for us to glean out of this that will help us today. And I want to give you just four little things about symptoms that could be going on in your life, not physically that I'm talking about, but I'm talking about in your life that where you might be seeing that you, what should be a cycle has now become an issue. And so, number one, this woman, because of this continual menstrual flow of blood, it, it rendered her unable to be intimate with God and the appropriate people. Now, how, how would that render her unable to be uh, intimate with God? Because under the law, which she still was at this time, you could not, you were forbidden to go to the temple if you had any bleeding issues. So she couldn't come to synagogue or temple or any, any of those things. She was forbidden at the point of death. In other words, if she did violate that law and she came to the temple bleeding like that, anything that she sat on would be declared unclean and she would actually have been stoned to death for violating the law. So I want you to understand, when she made a move to go to Jesus, she was putting her life on the line. The second symptom that people have is you have to press. It says she pressed. You have to press into what you used to run to. In other words, if church, coming to church and worshiping, if that's become a press to you, then you're bleeding somewhere. Something's not right. Somebody's cut you. Somebody's hurt you. Might have been the church. That's why you're staying away from it. You don't want to get cut again. You don't want to get hurt again. But I'm just trying to say to you that, you know, if you're having to press to read the Bible, if it's a press to you to lift your hand and worship the Lord, if, if you're having to press into those things, then I'm, I'm trying to tell you that you need to look, man. Something's going on, and it's not God. The third thing is that she says she spent all the money that she had. Now, the third symptom is people spend money trying to fix themselves. Now, listen, I, I'm not talking about you spending money at a physical doctor's office type thing, okay? This goes beyond that. But a lot of people, you, you, you might be spending money at the mall trying to fix yourself. 
Are, are you tracking with me? In other words, you may be spending a lot of money on toys and things because you're trying to find happiness in your life. And you try it in this, and you try it in that, and you try it in this, and you just spend all kind of money. And, and really, the, the root of that thing is you're trying to fix yourself. You're trying to make yourself happy. And it's really a hard lesson for all of us to learn. Now, I know we all probably think like this. I've thought like this, to be honest with you. But I mean, you know, say, well, you know, money won't make you happy. But I said, you know, give me some, we'll see. Because <laughs> I've had money and I've been happy and I've have not had money and I've not been happy. But I, I get the point. I understand. But are we spending money? just to try to make ourselves happy, try to fix ourselves. The fourth one, it says she sought worthless physicians. Now, if you've been talking to the same people for years and you're still in that same cycle, you need to find different people to talk to because as far as your situation and cycle, they're worthless. I'm not saying the people are worthless. I'm saying their counsel to you is not helping you. So that counsel is not helping you. That counsel is worthless. I would never say a person's worthless. You with me? But stop going to people that don't know what they're talking about for advice. Some of you know on, on, on the side I do, I help people with some Medicare things and stuff like that. And, and I'm trained in that and stuff like that. You'd be amazed at how many people will let people talk them out of benefits and things because they don't know what they're talking about. So they'll, here is a, my title is a, is a senior benefit specialist, okay? How about that? Take that. And yet you're going to go to your neighbor who can't even spell Medicare and ask what she thinks about it and make decisions based on what she heard. I heard. That's why a lot of times the reason the poor stay poor and the rich stay rich is because the poor are ignorant, sometimes willingly so. I mean, if you're on the roof of a flooded home and the water's rising and you ask God to help you, when the, when the helicopter comes and lowers the ladder, get on board. Don't be like the feller says, I'm waiting on God. That was God. Just because it said, don't say God's helicopter on the side. Use your brain. Climb the ladder. Get on. God's trying to help you. Amen. Another thing we need to do is... We, not, you know, churches need to do this. Sometimes nations need to do this. Sometimes individuals. But we need to break the cycle of scarcity to supply. In other words, we need to come from a mentality of scarcity to supply. Let me tell you something about poverty. Poverty is a mindset. Poverty, in other words, you can have billions of dollars and still have a poverty mindset. No offense to my parents, but we were raised with a poverty mindset. We, we, we were raised like that, and, and, and you, you think like that. But people that, 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 that break out of that, they think differently about money, about life, about time. See, as a believer, I want you to know something. You have permission from God to prosper. And in fact, not only do you have permission, you have a commandment to prosper. To be fruitful. And there's been so much negative preaching against prosperity gospel and all what people call that. You know, say, well, you're a prosperity preacher. Well, I sure ain't a bent, broke, and ain't got no money preacher. Now, if I got to choose, I'm going to choose health and prosperity. That's why that's a billions and billions of dollars industry. Health, 
prosperity? Yeah, because that's what people want. Everybody wants that. Every nation wants that. I realize there's been abuses in that area from the pulpit. There's been manipulators and liars and, and wolves in sheep's clothing. Yes, they have. But there's been abuse in many other areas of ministry as well. And you can't throw the baby and the wash water away. Most Americans don't feel rich, but every one of us are rich by comparison. You are rich, rich, rich. Look over the person next to you, tell them I'm rich. <laughs> Some of you can't even do that, man, because you feel like you're so. Because, see, you thought you were lying. You said, I ain't going to lie in church. You and I are rich. Not just rich, but we're rich, rich, rich. This, this article uh, appeared last year in the Washington Post. And it, it asked Americans to, for them to estimate what they, what they believe to be the average median yearly salary of an individual worldwide in the world. Their figure was $20,000. In other words, most Americans believe that the average income of the average person, you know, the median income of people in the world is, on average is around $20,000 a year. You know what it really is? $2,100 a year. So the average person, most people on this planet are living and existing off of $2,100 per year. And there's not an American you could find that would say $20,000 a year would be even a good salary. But the rest of the world is living off a, a tenth of that. Therefore, you're rich. You are rich. If you own, how many of you own an automobile or have, now don't get, don't play schematics with me like, well, I don't really own it, the bank, I don't, you got a car, it's in your name, I want to see your hand. Now, how many of you got more than one car at your house? Y'all are some of the richest people in the world. <laughs> Listen, that same article said that if you have an automobile, irregardless of its condition. If you have an automobile, then you are among the 6 to 9% of the most wealthiest people on the globe. Baby, you are rich because you got a car. You got a car. Most people in this planet will never even dream the dream of having a car. I remember many years ago, the church, I, uh, Cornerstone, where I pastored, we, I had a guy come from the Ivory Coast, uh, from, uh, from the Ivory Coast, and uh, West Africa is where that is. And Celeste uh, Dion or something like that, that's, that's, you know, I can't hardly pronounce it, but it's French. They speak French there. And, uh, and so uh, the guy brought him to our church. I, I, Pastor Keith met him. He knows who I'm talking about. And so I remember one day we were riding down the road. And just riding down the road, and he saw like a possum or something on the road. And he was just like, you know, just looking as we went by the possum. And he said, pasta. He said, y'all waste so much food in this country. 
And I'm saying, he had never, ever been out of Sierra de Leone and, and come to America. And, and, and they don't ride by meat on the road where he comes from. He said, if it's 3 o'clock, this is what he told me. I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. He said, if it's 3 a.m. in the morning, in the bush, he said, in the bush, and we hear, boom, he said, and we know someone has hit an animal, and the people will run with machetes, and in just moments, all of that animal will be gone. We waste nothing. <laughs> he said, you waste so much food. I remember when I took him to my house, he, he, he was amazed that we had bicycles. You have bicycles. He, he was more amazed, seemed like we had bicycles than he was riding in my truck. This is what he said to me. He said, you are so rich because you have choice of what to eat, of what shoes to wear what clothes to put on. We have no choice. Now that is not to make us feel guilty as Americans, but it's just kind of a like, okay, come on guys, you're rich. Act like it. Lift your head. Be thankful. Be, be gracious. And what I'm leading up to, be generous. See, Most Americans don't feel rich, but we are. Most Americans feel that they are generous, but we are not. Generosity and giving, two different things. Now, you can relax. We already took the offering. Ain't nobody out of your money. You ain't looking at a manipulating preacher up here. I do believe you should be spurred on. All of us in this area. But being, the Bible speaks a lot uh, about generosity, particularly if you're reading different translations. The NIV message it uses the word generous or generosity over and over and over again in the New Testament. And, uh, but for people that is, are as rich as we are, in other words, if you have that automobile, you're in the 6 to 9% of the most wealthy people on the planet. Uh, you know, night before last, I met a, a pastor, me and my wife did. We went to a restaurant. We drove in that automobile. It, it conditioned the air inside so that I wouldn't break a sweat while I drove. I drove to a restaurant. I went inside. People opened the door for me, greeted me, seated me at a table. A person came and stood at my table and asked me what I wanted and gave me tremendous pages of choices. And I just, I sat there like a king. I said, I, I want this, and then I want this, and I want this to drink. And she said, yes, sir, my pleasure. And she went, and there was a whole team of people that was working for me, a team of people. I, I didn't have to go and kill my food. 
I didn't have to chase no chicken down and break his neck and pluck his feathers before I could eat. Somebody already chased my chicken down, already broke his neck, and they had already singed all the pin feathers off of him before they sliced him up for me. And then they prepared it just like I wanted it. And they set it at my place and, and, and they gave me forks and, 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 and a napkin and I ate it. And when I got through, they took it away. I'm so rich. They took it away. They cleaned up and what? They said, would you like something sweet? Did you leave room for desserts? I said, I believe I did. <laughs> All that seafood got my mouth tasting a little seafood. Yeah, I need some key lime pie to kind of cut the edge of that seafood taste out of my mouth. And I said, not only bring me the key lime, but bring me a cup of coffee with it too. She said, yes, sir. You want cream with that, sir? And I enjoyed that. I wiped my mouth, threw my napkin down. Oh, yeah, I paid that whole team of people that was working for me. Whole team of people. All in the people I need meat was working for me on my behalf in that kitchen. And when I left, there'd be somebody I hadn't even met called a busboy come clean my table off and get it ready for the next rich people that was going to come in there behind me. And when I got through eating all that, I climbed in an automobile and I drove myself in an air-conditioned vehicle all the way back to my house and put my belly in the bed and crawled in behind it. I don't know where I come up with this stuff from. <laughs> this is a dangerous job to have right here, I think. And it just hit me. I am so rich. But I don't even know it. I'd like to tell you that I don't ever get scared, worried, that I don't ever gripe or complain or be fearful that I won't have enough. But I do. And it helps me to just kind of do what I'm doing with you. Okay, wait a minute now. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have a perspective of what this is. You know, we're all on the same planet, but we are so blessed. We are so blessed. Every nation has its problems. I've not been one of those guys to tell you I've been to you know 40 you know nations, all that kind of stuff. But I've been to Bulgaria and I've been to in those different areas and stuff. Oh, man, I was glad to get home. I was glad to be home. Um, what, what's happening today, and I know this is different. This is, this is different today. I love you guys. I ain't mad about nothing. I'm, you know, I, I just, I just, just what I feel. I got to go with what I feel life on. I had the uh, lunch. Uh, it's probably been over a year or so now. I know it's been over a year now. It wasn't too long after I had my open heart surgery. But uh, the pastor of the largest church in this county wanted to take me to lunch, and we went to lunch. And he told me, you know, and I, you know, I'm just like, man, I wish I just had the problem of how many people you got. And he said the average person in America that says that's my church and that's my pastor, they attend, the average in America now, 1.7 Sundays a month. That is radically different than when I got into this and started pastoring 24 years ago. 
The average person no longer believes in really supporting the church financially as they used to 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Because when, you know, the church that I even founded, the church I was raised in, when people went on vacation, they were going to be gone two weeks. They mailed their, their offerings in because they didn't want the church to, to suffer or be in lack. That day's gone. So the people that do come 1.7 Sundays a month, the only time they give, most of them, is the 1.7 Sundays a month. And, and if they don't come that 1.7, they don't give then. But what other kind of organization could make it off of that kind of unstable giving pattern? Not many. And, they could, and the day could come, I'm not being fatalistic, but the day could come like, whatever happened to Grace Point? Was it that was preaching uh, in, in heresy? or No, it was just the people didn't give. You can't sit here in padded chairs and have air conditioning blowing down on you for free. Right? The world's changing. The world has changed. And I, I, and I don't say that to condemn anybody, but I'm, I'm a guy in the leadership, and I talk to a lot of pastors, and we have many pastors that I relate to. Everybody's feeling the pinch of this. If it wasn't for the fact that this church has always been absolutely debt-free, and if I have anything to continue to do with it, we'll continue to be debt-free, other than the roof that we had no choice but to repair and borrow the money to repair it. We still owe on that. This church has never had a mortgage payment. As long as I got anything to do with it, it never will. If it had one, it wouldn't be here today. Would you like for it to be here when you want to come for that 1.7 a month? You know, and, and, and if all of y'all come to say Grace Point's your church and I'm your pastor, if ev- this is true. That, if everybody came at one time, we would hardly have a chair for you. I'll see you next after the 1.7. No. Now, some of you are so faithful. God bless you, man. You're here every Sunday. And I understand. I'm not going to be here every Sunday. I mean, there's things I'm going to have to go sometimes. There's times I'm, you know, I get to go. I mean, I'm going to do some things too. My, I try, I, these elders know in all these 10 years, I've always tried to say, well, I'm not going to do my very best never to miss more than one Sunday a month and never to miss two Sundays back to back. Why? Because you don't have opportunity. Yeah, I have opportunity, but I have responsibility here. Now, I'm the only one thinking I'm the best preacher. No, no, but I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the lead pastor. I'm not the only pastor, but I'm the lead pastor. So I have the lead responsibility. To show by example that I care about this church, I care about this house, and I care about the people that call this place home. Amen. And, 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 I'm, and, and this is not to beat anybody up. Can, can't you feel how much I love people? Come on, man. You got to be able to feel that. I did a funeral. Johnny and Kim back there. Wave, Johnny and Kim. That's two of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. They really are. This is their church, and it was their church before I got here. Okay? Kim's very spiritual. Johnny's like uh, Joseph in the Bible. They didn't know I was going to say nothing. But, you know, in the Bible, there's not one word written that Joseph, the husband of Mary, ever said. You ever think of that? There, he has never recorded in Scripture as even saying boo. <laughs> I mean, he ain't nothing in there. The man, his actions spoke. He took care of his family, his wife, and he took care of our Savior when he, that angel said, take that, the mother and the child and get them to Egypt. I'll tell you when they come back. We got a problem here with Herod. We got 
got to get him out to, you know, got to deal with this. To me, Johnny, that's what I think about Johnny when I think about he loves his family. Ain't no telling how many people he helps. I know some. Never opens his mouth. Nobody's going to throw him a parade, but he's just a strong believer that loves God and loves his family and loves people and does what he can. Man, that encourages me. They called me the other day and said, would you I preach the funeral of one of their family members? I said, I'll be honored to. John had sent me a thing and said, you can do it this day or that day. And I said, I want to do it whenever they desire it. So that was Wednesday, wasn't it? Wasn't it Wednesday, I think it was. And uh, we had a graveside service. Kim walked up and handed some cash to me. And I said, listen, you, you ain't got to do that. And she said, I know, but we want to. She said, you've come all the way out here and we were doing a graveside, man, and I'm telling you, it's been hot out these doors lately, right? And I love them people too much to take time. You know, you can tell them funeral directors, they're scared of preachers. Because some of these nutcases that get out there and try, in a graveside and try to preach 30-minute sermon or something. That's like, and, that, and that guy started talking to me over the phone, you know, when he was telling me about the graveside and stuff. And he was saying, you know, now most of the time we find that, you know, <laughs> I said, man, you ain't know you're talking to me. I've been doing this 34 years. I know what the temperature is. I'm going to be in a suit with a tie, which I hate. You ain't got to worry about me. I said, it'd be 10 minutes at the most. <laughs> and so we were sitting under that tent, weren't we? And we were fanning, you know, with them funeral home fans. And, and I told that family, I said, listen, I, I love y'all too much to keep you here very long, but I'm going to make just a few comments about Brother Charles. And... Uh, and when I drove away from there, you know, it ain't like when she handed me something. And, and so they, she, she, they blessed me, I'm just going to say very generously. In fact, the most generous I've ever been blessed. And it wasn't about the money deal. Didn't expect nothing, didn't, you know, didn't go there for that. She said, no, but you've come out here, you, you know. Now, to be honest with you, I'm going to have to send that suit to the cleaners because I soaked it with sweat. You will want me to send it to the cleaners, Okay. But I, I text Kim back, I think maybe in the next day. It just so touched my heart. I said, in 34 years of preaching the gospel, y'all are only the third family that's ever given me a dime for conducting a funeral in 34 years. And I know I've done over 100 funerals. Are you mad about that? No. But it just kind of shows you that where, how people view things. Maybe they're hurting, maybe they're sad, maybe they're, you know, I don't know. We need to honor God, and we need to honor leadership, and we need to honor people. Every, not, just, not just preacher, but everybody. You know, most of my ministry is behind me, not in front of me. Maybe I'm trying to help with the, with the other ones that's coming on. But it's just... You know, most of us feel like that we're extremely generous. But let, let me say this to you. Uh, and I'm not making this stuff up, you know. And I, but the average American, now listen to me. I'm almost done. You're like, man, I wish I'd skip today. I know you're going to talk about money. <laughs> oh, this was a grace church. This is grace. I'd rather, you, I'd rather tell you stuff up front than you go, whatever happened to Grace Point? Why, don't they, why are you there there anymore? Well, people don't give. 
I don't know, you'd have to ask Johanna, but I know I'm at the top giver of this church. Anybody checking behind me? Listen, I, I didn't start giving. Now, you, you, you can wrestle over the word tithe. You know, that, that chokes some people today. I, I, I had my oldest son the other day, you know, and I was talking to him about some things and pressures and all this. He said, I guess, Daddy, you're just preaching yourself out of a job. Isn't that something? He said, you're just preaching yourself right out of a job, Daddy. I said, what do you mean, son? Because he said, you, you, are, you have thoroughly told everybody that God loves them no matter what. And I said, I'm going to keep on telling them that, son, because that's the truth. And I'm not going to get up ever and threaten people like I did when I first got ministry when I didn't know no better, that if you don't give, you're under a curse. And that's why you had to go to the drugstore and get your prescriptions because God's going to get his tithe one way or the other. Anybody ever sat under that kind of beating? Ignorance, maybe non-intentional, repeating what they heard another preacher do, but all that's lies. You're not under a curse. Jesus removed the curse. There is no longer a curse. So you will never catch this church or me saying, I'm going to put a pistol to your head. You either tithe or God's going to, you know, get you. No, that don't exist. That's a lie. And I'll never preach a lie. If I know it's a lie, I ain't preaching it. So you don't see nobody pressuring nobody. I don't hardly ever even mention the thing. But I wish that we could just use the New Testament and be generous. Well, I don't believe in tithing. Well, just if that word bothers you, just throw it away. How about giving? You believe in that? Let's just use that one then if that helps you. One thing this Bible talks about, and it refers to God as the generous God who generously poured out his grace upon and, and God's a generous God. And listen, we're not generous because that's something we do. We're generous because that's who we are. I told you just one last week when that lady walked around that pump at, right here in, off the perimeter at the gas pump, and she just had that look of desperation. It was time for me to be generous to her. She just wanted me to pump in, you know, squeeze in there a few dollars in there. I said, I'm going to fill your car up. She didn't know. I didn't say, I'm a Christian. See how good we are? I didn't do none of that. I just said, no, I'm going to fill it up. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't expect you to fill I know you didn't. That's what I'm here for. I'm going to fill the car up. And I was thinking, man, this little car is taking a lot of fuel. <laughs> $27. I just wanted to say, like, baby, you, you were empty. <laughs> you, you coasted in here. <laughs> you know? But listen, the, listen, the average American, according to the article, only gives away 2.8% of their income. 2.8. Now, that's, not, that's church and everything now. That's not, that's not just church stuff. I'm, I'm speaking about, this is what they say the average American gives away to someone else. 2.8. And, and that includes the church folk. Right? Now listen, listen to this. It said if you make over 100000 a year, the number drops to 2.6. My pastor of many years told me that he's pastored in this town for many, many years, and, and he had seen many of his members become, several of his members, I'll say it that way, become millionaires. And, and he told me this. He said, I have never had a millionaire to tithe or give. Because once they get to that level, they feel like, well, you know, the church ain't smart enough to deal with this kind of money, so I'll just keep it myself or I'll give it to what it, and there you go. And so there, the, the Word of God teaches us, and, you know, we, and, I, and I guess you say this, well, why don't we give? You know why? Why don't people give more than 
8% because they're afraid to. Again, the scarcity mentality. They feel like if I give away, I'm like I'm barely making it now. <laughs> I can't hardly get by now. And if I barely make it now, if I give away, I won't be able to make it. I mean, if, if I start doing and being real generous, I'll have to just change my life. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says in verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your what? Your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of what? Generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will do what? Reap sparingly. Why? Because God's in, no, because sowing and reaping. Now, the New Testament don't teach sowing and reaping it like most preachers have beat you up with it. Like, okay, you did this wrong, now God's going to, you're going to have to reap what you sow. When the Bible in the New Testament speaks of sowing and reaping, it's always talking about money. Think about that one. Now, he says, he says, if you sow sparingly, you'll do what? And if he sows bountifully, he will also what? Reap bountifully. So let each one give as he does what? Purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of a necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, when I was growing up in church, I'd always hear preachers say, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take money from, you know, somebody that ain't cheerful. What, I mean, what is oh. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always have what? Having all sufficiency in how many things? All things. That you may have an abundance. Everybody say abundance. For every good work. You know, one of the good works that we do here at Grace Point is we serve food to people. That really, it's, it's, it's working people who can't really make ends meet. And so every, what are we doing it now, Charles? Tuesday or Thursday? Tuesday. So every Tuesday from around 2 to 5, we give food away and has been doing it since this church almost started. That cost over that long period of time, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. We're able to do that because of you. But if we don't give, then then people are going to have to quit coming here for food because we're not going to be able to afford to give them any food. We say, well, they'll get, they won't die, they won't drop dead, they'll get it from somewhere. Yeah, they will. But this is something that we feel God's called us to do is to feed the people. Not only do we give them food, but we pray with them. Many of you are involved in that ministry. Some of you never even heard of that ministry that goes on here every Thursday. We used to do it Tuesdays and Thursdays. We did that for years. But about a year ago, I had to stop one of those days to try to help us financially with the money that we we're putting out. So I've already had to cut it back to one day instead of two days. You know what they did back there? They tried to feed as many people on that one day that they would have been feeding on two days. I see what y'all did, Charles. You, you and Katrina, I see. Because that's their heart, just to pour it out on people. Just to pour out love. Because it's not like we're giving them food as much as we're giving them love. Amen? I'd like to be able to keep doing that. But to keep doing that, I'm going to have to have people that will be generous. And not forget that we're doing that every Tuesday. And not forget that it costs us money. They don't give us that food. We buy that food. We give it, but we buy it. Now, there's things at times that they'll give us, certain things at certain times, frozen things that they can't do nothing. They go, okay, we've got to get rid of And, boy, if they get that, Charles takes it. 
And he hollers, we got turkey for everybody, or <laughs> whatever the meat is, you know, and they'll come. Well, you got some people probably abusing that, don't you? Yeah, just like we got people abusing everything else in the world. But if you go to, you know, what's that saying, Ivory, you got? We got, we got, uh, Ivory said one time we got people that, uh, huh? He's one of my elders. I remember him, needy and the greedy. But you, you're always going to have the needy and you're always going to have the greedy. But if you, if you stop because of the greedy, you're going to miss the needy. So we're going to serve the needy and the greedy so we be sure we cover the needy. Amen? Now look in verse 10. I'm about done. Now he, he who supplies seed to the sower. Now who the he is there? God. You know God supplies your stuff? Don't forget that he's the supplier. He supplies what? Seed to the sower. Now the problem is if you start eating your seed. I wish we was rich as the Mormon church. You ain't never seen a Mormon church start in a storefront, and you never will. Now, I know we, most of us in here don't believe that the Mormons have got everything just right. I know it scares you me to even hear the word said Mormon. He said Mormon in the, in the church. Mormon, 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 Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> they have a real good choir. I know that. <laughs> I need to quit. But let me tell you one thing that they do. The monies that come in to the Mormon church, this is my understanding now, um, they see that as seed, and then they invest it. So they own insurance companies. They own banks. They own truck stops. They own coke, you know, pe- uh, soda companies. and all, They own all kinds of stuff. And money is coming in by the droves to that organization. We, we should be doing that. I've always said that. We, we, it, we, we've missed some things. So we should be, the monies that come in, we should be able to have a, a sufficient supply to come in that we help in, in, in own, you know, I think a church should own businesses that are profits, profitable businesses. I have moved towards that area in, in, the, in the previous church that I pastored. And we were well on the way to establishing some of those things when the economy crashed in 07, when all the banks and the real estate market crashed. And uh, don't act like that don't affect churches when it happened. All these preachers had to change their sermons they'd been preaching up to when that happened because they preached like they didn't have nothing to do with them. Oh, yeah, it had something to do with you. Because when that crashed and your people's crashed and the jobs lost and their checks cut, I mean, everything went down quickly. So they had to rewrite them sermons. They don't preach them no more. If they got good sense. Because what happens in this nation and what happens in the stock market and what happens in this world affects all of us. The church too. Because it affects you. So, But God says, I'm supply seed to the sower and bread for food. So it's foolish to eat your seed. Uh, but God, God says, I don't give you bread for food. But I give you seed for what? Supply and multiply the what? Supply and multiply the seed you have what? Sown. Now, if you don't sow seed, God's got nothing to multiply. Now, this ain't got nothing to do with going to heaven. You understand me? But this is the seed that you sow. You multiply the seed that you've sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. What, what's that talking about? The people see that you, you, you don't just talk it, you walk it. He said, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. In other words, people start thanking God because, you, you know, when I, get, when I helped fill that woman's car up, I promise you this. She didn't know my name, but I promise you, when she drove off from there, she said, thank God. In fact, she said, thank God, before I even left. Uh, before she, while I was filling her car up, I heard her say, thank you, God. 
She never asked me my name. She didn't know who I was. But while I was sitting there squeezing that right there with tears in her eyes, she said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. So she saw something in me and it apparently connected her with God. She said, thank you, God. With tears coming down her face while I was pumping fuel in her car. Just being generous. I'm not saying, I, I mean, I'm just saying that I had an opportunity there. Now, I told you, why out of, out of six or eight islands full of people getting fueled did she come to my island? It wasn't the only one vacant that she could have pulled her car into. She had many choices. And why come to me? Because Jesus in you is attractive to people. Jesus in you is attractive to people. So, you know, people ask, well, do you believe in time? I do. And I don't believe the New Testament nullifies it. In fact, I believe Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, 23 affirmed the tithe. But if you don't, hey, don't let it choke you, you know, you gizzard. You ain't going to get no pressure, no pistol to your head here. But I'm just saying the reality is whether you give or not, you know, it takes money to have an organization this big. But one thing tithing does for me, it's always done for me, and I've been doing it without failing, never missed a week since I was 19 years old. And I don't mean that to boast or brag. I mean, the Lord, I mean, apparently the church I was raised in, boy, they did a good job of teaching me that. For 19 and from up to this present day, I mean, I, I've never had a season. I, didn't, I, I, I never had to go six weeks and try it. You know, I mean, there's been times I've just been so upset with the church and people and leadership and government and stuff like that, and, and, and I just gave right through it. There have been other things I've not been faithful with, but that I have. Because I'm not giving to an organization. I'm, I'm doing this to honor God. That's why I'm, the thing that we put up, we talk about we honor God. So we don't believe tithes, you know, like a mandate to do it, God's going to come. No, we believe it's just God's God and he deserves honor. And this is one way we honor him. And so tithing does this. It teaches me to keep, you know, God first. This is the first day of the week. Aren't we in here worshiping? This is the first day of the week. What I do with, with yesterday, you know, my wife, uh, we, you know, deposited a check, and, and uh, she said, you going to write the tithe or you want me to write it? And I said, well, you go ahead and write it. See, it don't take any faith to give last. It only takes faith to give first. There's no faith in giving what's left over. There's only faith in giving before you get to the end of it. Y'all just let me know if I say anything. This. And so... Haggai chapter 1, it talks in that passage, I won't go there, it talks about people putting money in a bag with holes in it. You ever read that? I don't care how much money you put in a bag, if it's got a hole in it, it's going to just roll right through it. You know what it talks about in Haggai chapter 1, it says you put money in a bag with holes. It says you look for, for a lot, but it came to little. And then God says, you know why? Consider your ways. And he says that terminology, over. consider your ways, consider your ways, consider your ways. Now, God says, now we got, you know what the American mindset is? More money. I need a raise. I need more money. No, you need to fix the hole in the bag. You need to fix the hole in the bag. And, 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 and then listen, God, you got to understand, this is old covenant now. This is before grace. But God says the reason y'all having such a hard time is because all of you run, he says, run to your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins. In other words, he said, you got your priorities wrong. He said, my house is no longer priority. My, your stuff has become priority now. And I want to tell you, most people have fulfilled the passage in the New Testament that we have become lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. I, I'm not saying people don't love God. The New Testament said that they have become lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. They love God, but now they just love themselves more than God. So now church is where you go when you don't have nothing else to do. 
Instead of it being now, I, I want to be there. I want to be there because I don't want to miss anything. I want to be there because that's my church. I want to be there because I'm in covenant relationship. I want to be there to encourage and help somebody along the way. I do not want to fail this, the, the assembling of ourselves together. You know, I, want, I, want to, I want to be there. And, and, and I just pray that, that somehow, see, see the, on, on that Tuesday, 9-11, that they flew the jets into the Twin Towers in New York City? I didn't have a church service announced that night, but my church filled up with people. We had more that Tuesday night than we were having any time on Sundays. And I didn't put it on Facebook. You know what people did when they were terrified? They ran to the church. And I had to go and preach and declare and, and talk because the, the, the church was packed. But we weren't there out of faith. We were there out of fear. What's going to happen next? Or what in the world changed that day? I don't want that kind of revival. I want us to come because we love God. And that we see he deserves honor and, and, and we, we want to be that person. I, 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 got, I got to end with this. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm done with this. Here, here we go. Your, your giving. Oh, I forgot about that. I sure I shouldn't have tried these. Your giving and my giving. Makes a way for Jesus. Makes a way. John the Baptist, he made the way for Jesus to come. Is that what it says? You remember them four guys? This one guy that's paralyzed, he got four friends, though. Man, it's something to have one friend, but if you got four, you got you something. He had four friends that were concerned about him. Remember them guys? And they, they put him on a cot and they carry him to Jesus, but they can't get there because of the crowd. Remember? So these guys climb a roof with a guy on a stretcher. I was a paramedic for 20 years. I mean... Come on now, that's a job. So they get up on a roof with this flat roof with their buddy, and they're looking for a way to Jesus but can't find a way because there is no way. So they make a way where there is no way. Sometimes you're the way maker. We always talk about God's a way maker. He make a way when there ain't no way. Yeah, but you got to make the way for people. One of the ways that we make ways for people is we give and we're generous. And it allows us to be on Facebook. It allows us to be here preaching the gospel. It allows us to have a website. It allows the gospel to go because you're making a way. Your giving makes a difference. My giving makes a difference. Makes a difference. Remember Zechariah the prophet prophesied that you know, a prophecy that said that Jesus the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. Remember that? That was in the Bible. Hundreds of years before Jesus was being born. So Jesus now is getting to the end, and he, he needs to fulfill that passage. And he tells his disciples, go find the colt. You'll go to this such and such place. You'll find a colt tied there. And he said, get it and, and bring it to me. And if somebody asks you why you do what you do loosing this colt, say this to them, the Lord hath need of him. So Jesus rode into Jerusalem, triumphant entry they call it. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt that didn't belong to him. I don't know if that man had owned that colt, that was his only colt, or if that was one out of a hundred. I don't know. But I'm telling you this, that man's giving of his colt, because when they went to untie, there's a Bible that said the man stopped and said, what do you loosen the colt? He says, the Lord told us to tell you that he has need of him. Can I say to you that the Lord has need of you? He hath need of you. He needs you to loose some things that's been tied up that the Lord needs so he can ride in to the city on it. There's things that are tied up that you ain't even using. Do you know that guy from Africa? He was, a, you know one of the things that he was so amazed at my house was, you know, when we pulled up and I hit that button and that garage door went up, 
He said, you have a house for your car. That's what he said. You have house for your car. I think ain't a house, it's a garage. He don't know no garage. He said the house you have for your car is bigger than anybody's house in, in where I'm from. Some of our closets is bigger than the houses that people live in. You're rich. We just need to say, God, help me to be what you've made us to be generous. Give us liberality to, to live our lives like that. You ever notice when you made $24,000 a year, you barely made it, and now you're making $80,000 a year, you're barely making it? What changed? <laughs> you're living on the edge, baby. That man gave that coat. Jesus rode into the city. That man made a way. When we give at this church, now see, if I was a regular preacher right now, I'd be having to come up here with the baskets. But I don't want you giving off of an emotional. I just want you to remember what I said to you today. I love you. I know it's different. Don't get mad at me. There ain't a beat-up bone in my body for you ever. I won't ever beat you up. When you come here, you're going to get encouraged. You're going to get built up. You're going to get lifted up in the Word of God. And you're going to get told the truth. And people don't give, and we not here. I'm still going to be preaching somewhere about the gospel of God and His grace and goodness. But if we're going to keep doing what God's called us to do, we're going to, we're going to have to remember that just because you come 1.7, that one Sunday a month, you know, they're still meeting them other three Sundays. Now, if you're not in covenant relationship with us, you know, just relax. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking about them joiner uppers. <laughs> I'm talking about them that said, I'm their pastor. They're in covenant here with this house. And we're members together. I mean, man, that kick you out of the Rotary Club. You don't support it. Come on now. We'll never kick you out. But we want to be here for you. We want to be here for you more than your funerals and your weddings. We want to be here every Sunday declaring the gospel and the goodness of God. We want to be out there every Tuesday out back handing just bags and, and cardboard boxes of groceries to people that leave with that smile, knowing that that food now is going to help them make it through that month when they've got more month than they got money. I remember one time years ago when I was contemplating shutting it down because the finances wasn't there. The man that ran that, when me and Crawford and Pastor Martin met with that guy, I remember, he said, Pastor, please don't stop this. This town needs you. Please don't stop this ministry. He said, do you realize how many people y'all are feeding here? He said, you are feeding the working class poor. These are people that are working, Pastor Young, but they just don't have the money to go and to do, and this helps them to fill in that gap. Please, Pastor. And that's when I came back, and we had no money back then. And we came back, and I said, we got to do. And I went to Pastor Keith right here. Raise your hand, Pastor Keith. <laughs> I love this man. He's the leader of the House of Grace Ministry in Sparks and these precious men. And I, and I said, Pastor Keith, help me. Help me. Help me to fund this food thing. You know what he did? Because he, they he have contracts with certain companies. They did then. And so Pastor Keith brought us refrigerators and lawnmowers and pressure washers and, and grills and weed eaters. And, and that's why you see even on one of our signs right there around, it says thrift thrift store or something. I think it's still on our signs. I don't know if they've taken, but you used to come around back. And, and we sold those items, and Pastor Keith blessed us to be able to do that so that we could fund and keep feeding people that needed food. 
and we never come in here and begged and borrowed a wine. I, I, I stink at taking offerings. Jesse Duplantis came to my church. I had so many of them big guys, you know, whatever. But Jesse Duplantis was the only preacher I ever had come to my church at Cornerstone and didn't ask for a, a certain amount. Flew his Learjet, had to land in Tifton because he couldn't land in Cook County. Runway ain't long enough. Cook County Sheriff gave him a, a blue light escort. Actually, Jesse got there. He said, I have never been driven so fast to a church in my life. He said, he said, he said Pastor, glory to God, they was running 100 miles an hour. They had the Lennox, you know, red light. They had the police standing. They're bringing Jesse in like he was the president. My oldest son that had said all that, said, Dad, you better get to the church. He said, Jesse Duplan is going to be there about 45 minutes early. I said, my God, son, I didn't want to sit around and talk with him because I didn't feel like I was nothing. My office was, I'm telling you, and my church was so small, just enough room for my desk and two chairs. I'm like, Jesse, bathroom bigger than this. I said, well, that's we got him. And when I got there, they already had him sitting in my office. And I went in there, and I didn't know, I ain't never met Brother Jesse. I just saw him on TV. I know he likes to joke and cut around, you know, but I walked in. He said, he said hey, Pastor Young, how you doing? I'm Jesse Duplantis. I know you are. He's the only guy I ever came, and he said, he's going to come. He wasn't, wasn't gonna, you don't have to give no minimum, and I'm not knocking people to do it. He said, I'm gonna, all I ask is I take my own offering. This is the absolute truth. He, Jesse took up his own offering at my church that night, $26,000. I'm like, Jesse, would you lay hands on me and teach me how to take up an offering like that? I sat in my office for 45 minutes with Jesse Duplantis, and we just chatted. He never one time made me feel like I was less than. He was so encouraging. I didn't have to fan him or nothing. He's just a regular guy. When we came downstairs, down to the second floor, and walked out into the sanctuary, it, we came in there, like coming here, and when people came in, I had never heard people go, oh, they were gasping. It wasn't for me, it was for Jesse. Jesse couldn't even give an altar call for salvation that night because people was coming up with their cameras taking pictures of him. Why he trying to get people saved? I wanted to knock them out in Jesus' name. <laughs> Church loves famous. Church loves all that stuff. And we were blessed by that. But he took up $26,000, flew in there on the Learjet, and told everybody that he didn't know a dime for nothing. And they gave $26,000. You average church come and you got to tell them you got bald tires on your car and you're about to go under and you need this and they took up off and then they give you $500. <laughs> you are rich. Rich, rich, rich. And when you walk out of here, you better jack your nose up in the air and you nail it. Now, I don't mean from pride and arrogance. I mean blessed of God and say, I am rich. I am, I'm giving to get in the car. I'm in the six to nine percent of the wealthiest people. But in fact, I'm be riding and, <laughs> and, and, and you ride in your car. Some of you are going to leave and go to a restaurant like we're going to go find somewhere to eat. We're going to go to a restaurant and we're going to have a whole team of people just serving you. Why? Because you're rich. Most people don't, most people got to go out and kill what they eat or no, somebody's already done all that for you because you're rich. Can I just ask us today as we stand, stand with me. I know you wish you'd have skipped today. Come back next Sunday, it'll be better. You ain't mad at me, are you? I want the gospel to go forth here.
to do that. We could do a much better job, really, if we had more to do with. Help us to be generous. Let's not argue. Well, y'all believe in time. I, I believe in giving. And I believe in giving not because somebody's trying to manipulate me or scare me. I believe in giving because God deserves honor. And we appreciate the message that goes forth from this place. And we want it to continue to go forth and be a strong one. And give us a louder, larger platform to do it from. That's what I pray. Ain't doing this for me. Most of my, I mean, if I drop the mic today and don't ever pick it up again, I mean, I feel like I've done, you know, the best I could do. But my heart is just to share the gospel with people and tell them, God loves you, man. He ain't mad with you. Won't you believe that? Why don't you just live your life out of the reality of what he accomplished for us? And he was generous to us. We could never pay him back, and I would never attempt to. It would be, be blasphemous to try to pay God back for saving us. God don't want servants. I'm serving. He don't want you. We do serve him, but what he wants is sons and daughters. And then we serve him because he's worthy of honor. But we serve him out of a heart of love, not to get his love. Big difference. Everybody okay? Look to your left and tell them they're rich. Look to your right and tell them you're rich. Say you're rich, rich, rich. All right. Elders, community group leaders, Pat, y'all come up here real quickly. I'm going to dismiss you. I held you overtime today. I beg your forgiveness. But uh, Father, you're a generous Father. You generously poured out your grace on all of us. We pray today that may we reflect your generosity, not only financially, not only in money. Let us be like those four guys. They didn't give money, but they gave their energy and their time to tear that roof open and to make a way for that, their friend to get to Jesus. Let these people know that they're way makers. When they give their money, their energy, their time, whether anybody ever knows it or sees it, you do. And they're making a way for people to get to Jesus. Somebody had to tell the woman with the issue of blood about Jesus. And when she heard, she ran. Somebody had to carry that man on a stretcher to Jesus. But they made a way for him by, by, by tearing that roof off. They made a way. That man loaned you that donkey. And you was able to ride into the city. Help us by our giving to allow you to ride into the city of Valdosta, to ride into our cities where we're from in a, in a way that, that people hadn't seen you before. Help us, Father, to remember that you've blessed us to be rich, rich, rich. Now let us be generous and show forth the kindness and the goodness of our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you want prayer, come this way. If not, you're dismissed. We love you guys. God bless you. If you want prayer for any reason, come here. We're waiting on you.